Hi there, you're listening to What Are You Going To Do With That? The podcast that introduces you to the young researchers and the guests of the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. My name is Dani and I'm a PhD candidate here at the university. Looking at me from her side of the screen is Dr. Ile Kermel Schiffman. This episode too is recorded online as the university is closed due to the corona crisis. Ile, am I saying that right? Right. You're saying it right. Very good. Uh, holds a BA in Sociology and Education from the University of Jerusalem and an MA in Gerontology from the University of Haifa. She just successfully completed her PhD on advanced care planning of elderly persons with dementia, also at the University of Haifa. Ile has publications on her name already, as her PhD was based on articles. Currently, she is a research associate at the Myers JDC Brookdale Institute, where she is part of the aging team. Her main research areas are advanced care planning, elder autonomy, coping with dementia, and family caregivers. Interestingly enough, one of the articles published in archives of gerontology and geriatrics is titled, Knowledge regarding advanced care planning, a systematic review. This title already hints that there isn't actually that much knowledge among the public about advanced care planning. And to be honest, I don't know that much about it either. So I'm very glad to have you as our guest today and to learn all about it. Okay, good morning, Ile. Good morning and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for me to be your guest. I have to say that I'm not used to chatting with my guests this early in the morning, but I do understand that this is the most quiet time at your house. So instead of having a drink, I'm going for something stronger this time, which is my cappuccino. <laughs> what are you having over there? I am also having a coffee. Cheers. Cheers. From far away. <laughs> I hope to meet you soon in person when this is all over. I would like to too. Let's kick off the morning with some short questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. If there would be 25 hours in a day, what would you do with the extra hour? Wow, great question. I think I will uh, go uh, to exercise, to go for a walk far from, uh, mo farther than uh, 100 meters and go around and exercise. I think that this is the thing that I, I am really missing these days. And it's hard to find the time for it as well. It's hard to find the time and I would like to go further and walk around and see the nature and breathe uh, some fresh air. All right, sounds good. And then which song or album can you listen to all day long? All day long. I think my favorite, I will say singer and not a song, it's uh, Shalom Hanoch in An Hebrew. Israeli star. Yeah. And I also like uh, Nora Jones. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I like that too. So I can hear to both of them all day. Do you listen to music while you study? Uh, no. Uh, when I study or do the research, I need, I need to be quiet. I can't work with music. I prefer quiet time. All right. Then do you collect anything? I don't think that I collect stuff right now. I used to collect when I was younger. I mean, when I was a little girl, I loved Hello Kitty. Okay. Yeah, even that it was a long, long, long time ago. Um, these days, I don't have time to collect anything. Yeah, right. Maybe something for the future again. 
Something different than Hello Kitty, probably. Yeah, I still like Hello Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, what hobby or skill would you most like to learn? I would like to learn... I start learning uh, to play the organ. Um, wow. Yeah, I actually started three years ago during my PhD. I decided that I have to do something else than working and being uh, a PhD student. So I started doing uh, private classes and learning music uh, and to play the piano, the organ, I mean. And um, that's what I would like to do more. But right now I quit. I don't have much time, but I hope to renew it soon. Nice. <laughs> uh, then the last question. What's your favorite family tradition? Is there anything unique to your family that's typical just for your family? I think that uh, one of the traditions that we keep every every day is that we all meet for dinner and I think it's very important. We don't skip dinner and it's a very special time because we all um, say something nice that happened to us during that day. Oh, that sounds like a very nice tradition. Yeah. Some positive energy at dinner. Yeah, that's a very important one for us. Okay. Well, now that the coffee started to kick in, I'm ready to hear more about your work. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about how you got from your BA in Sociology and Education from Jerusalem to an MA in Gerontology in Haifa? Yeah. So, actually, I always like people. And I knew that I want to keep studying to do a master. And then my boyfriend, that now he's my husband, showed me an article on the newspaper that uh, says something about the Department of Gerontology at the University of Haifa. And then I started uh, being interested in studying gerontology. But I think uh, that it's come from my real love to my grandparents. I had a grandmother and a grandfather that they already died. And they actually um, moved from Argentina to Israel uh, too, a few years after we made the Aliyah to Israel. And I was very attached to them um, until the last day. And I think that my love to old people come from my love to my grandparents. So in a way, your studies are an ode to the love of your family. Yes, definitely. I think that when... You know, I think I was very young when I started uh, my master and everybody asked me why you, a young person, like are interested in old people, you know, they look at me a, a little weird or ask me that question always and I say that I love old people and that comes from my love to my grandparents. Great. Can you tell me when you moved to Israel from Argentina, you said? Yeah, I was born in Argentina and I moved to Israel when I was 12. So, actually, English is for me my third language because my first language was Spanish, the second language was Hebrew, and my third language um, is actually was English, even that now I speak more English than, than I speak Spanish. Right, I feel you. Um, I made 
I moved to this country just a few years ago, not as long ago as you did, uh, from the Netherlands. And of course, Dutch was my first language. I picked up English quite fast, so that was actually my second. But then I had to learn Hebrew, and even though sometimes I do work with it, it's still a struggle. Yeah. So, I actually, it's very interesting that I uh, did my PhD in English, and I wrote everything in English, and for me it's easier to speak about what I do and what, what I work in in English than in actually in Spanish. So why did you choose to work in English? I think that most of the materials and everything, um, you know, in actually I think in gerontology, in the academic, and especially in advanced care planning, is uh, in English. So um, also my advisor, um, Professor Perla Werner, uh, recommends me to do a PhD of publications. So the publication uh, were planned to be in English and all my research started being in English. Even that, I conducted 195 face-to-face -face interviews with family caregivers of people with dementia in Hebrew, of course. So the interviews were in Hebrew and then I translate all my work into English for publications. That's quite impressive. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> But let's take a small step back. Uh, when did you decide to pursue a PhD after the MA? Yeah, so the MA I did like 15 years ago. And, and then I work in the field of gerontology for a few years. I work in different uh, places, private and in the municipality and in an uh, NGO. And then I start, I wanted actually to challenge myself a little more. I start being a, a research assistant of my, uh, the, the person who uh, was my advisor later. So I I start doing research and then like a year or two after that, I decide to start my PhD. With this particular person? Yes, with her. Um, and I think that um, it was a process. I didn't like one day decide, yes, let's do it. I, I start working again in research and thinking about the research. And then I decide to start my PhD. And I think that from the beginning when I uh, did my master in gerontology, I also say that you can actually gerontology is something that there is so much research to do. It's such kind of a young um, field that there is so much to research. And that was always in my mind, even that I was working only in the field. And then after a few years, When I actually had kids, I decided it was the right time to go back and do my PhD. All right. And what enabled you to do the PhD? Did you receive a scholarship or did you have to work in the meantime? Actually, yes, I received a scholarship from the University of Haifa. And that really uh, helped me because uh, then it allowed me to invest my time in research. But I also work part-time. Uh, doing research uh, with my advisor beside my PhD. And what kind of work was that? 
I was uh, a research assistant in different projects. One of them was also about advanced car planning, but uh, during the years we did the different uh, research. So please tell me, what is advanced care planning? Mm, advanced car planning. So advanced car planning actually is a process where a person can think and decide about what treatment uh, the person would like to receive or to avoid at the end of life when a when the person reached that part that it's called end of life. And what is end of life? End of life is when a person has no more than six more months to live. So actually, in few countries, and in Israel too, there are laws that allow the person to decide on, on that treatment. In Israel, you can write advanced directives, it's a document where you can uh, write what treatment you like or you deny to receive at the end of life. And you can also appoint a durable power of attorney that is a person that can decide if you won't be able to make your own choices for end of life. And in Israel, we have a law from uh, 2005 but unfortunately, we, um, not much people sign advanced care planning in Israel because there is no um, awareness or no knowledge about these options, that actually this option exists at all. And it seems that it's um, too bad that people don't know that they have the option to undertake advanced care planning. Right. That does sound like a very important thing to know that is maybe also under-researched. Yes, there is no more uh, research, there is no more awareness of the public and no more awareness of the professionals working. And I think that especially in these days, the corona days, it's very important uh, to plan. But not only in the corona days, everybody uh, have the right to decide what treatment he would like to receive or not to receive. So it doesn't let the people that family caregivers or, or professionals like doctors, nurses, to decide to make that decisions for somebody else. Because having to decide for somebody else, it's a very heavy burden for family caregivers, especially if they don't know what the person wants how, you know, people decide how to want to live and they choose a lot of things during their life, but they don't really think about their last time or the last days of life. All right. You already mentioned something about Corona and we're still meeting each other online because of the situation. And how do you think that this situation or the coronavirus affects your field of gerontology? Wow, I think that this is a very important time for uh, old people. You know, I think that these days there is a lot of ageism in the society. And ageism is a discrimination on the basis of their age. So in these Corona days, we, we cannot relate to all the people that they are older than 65, that that would, what is being old in the same way. The definition of older person include a group of people that 
can be 30 or even 40 years apart. So we cannot treat or relate to them in the same way because being 65 and being active and even working is different from being 95. But even, you know, people at some people can be 95 and still maybe working and being active. So it's a very individual situation actually to be old. It really depends on the person, doesn't it? It depends on the person, on the physical situation and the cognitive situation of each person. So we can put them all together in the same situation and say, uh, you know, they are old, so they cannot leave the house. No, you know, you can't treat 35 or 40, as I say, uh, years of a big population in the same way. So that, that's something that really bad that is happening now. I mean, we need to um, deal with that situation. And I think that we, we have to change uh, the way that people think about being old or what, what are the old people. And we, we should relate to them in different ways and not in only one way. So ageism is a form of discrimination and this is something that became even more apparent during the corona crisis. Yes, yes, because um, we see, we, I mean the gerontologists, we see the discrimination that is happening just because people pass the 65. So just even yesterday when decided that there are going to be um, ways to start opening of the market and everything, they say that people that they are more than 67, they won't be allowed to work, even if they are fine and healthy and they always were working. Only because they are 67, they can go, they cannot work, go to work right now. If they are healthy and they are used to work, why they need to be home? Just because of that number. Is this something that you're considering to uh, continue research on? I think, yeah, that it's very important to do research at all about aging, but I think that a lot of research and new research we have about uh, the ageism and about the older persons during the corona time. I think that we will have a lot of new areas of research during these days, but what is not less important is that we need to learn how to treat older person from from now and not to re to relate to them in the same way so there are much to do in research and in practice so can i ask you what your next project is i uh, work now in a, as a researcher as you say, in the aging department at the Brookdale Institute. So we are doing a few researchers and personally, I would like to do more research about advanced care planning and the corona virus and how this affects the decision-making of people or the way that people think about planning their future after the corona or because of the corona time. Okay. And then, usually I ask it at the end, but I feel this is the appropriate time to do so. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> I think that um, I would like to promote more research, as I said, about advanced care planning. But I also would like to teach 
uh, and to explain everybody about advanced car planning and how important it is to plan and to make decisions for yourself. Because uh, on one, uh, when you ask somebody what is more important, money or health, so most of the people will say to you, of course, that health, right? But then when you ask what did you plan, and they say some people have wills, but only few, few people have uh, advanced care planning or what we call it living wills, that it's about the health. So people, if they plan something, they plan about their money, but they don't plan about their health. And where is that option that they can decide what the treatment they would like to receive at the end of life? It's so important because that um, should reflect everybody's values and preferences. And actually, people don't write, but they even don't speak about it. So even family caregivers that were very close persons don't know, don't know what are their preferences. That's about advanced care planning. But also I think that it's very important to teach about old people and what is um, older people, what are the older people. There are so many fields that gerontology should be, should be studied, should be uh, teaching like I think that in every uh, field, gerontology should be explained because this is such a huge part of the population and everybody should know how to treat or know something about aging. So you'd also like to continue teaching? Does that mean that you're pursuing an academic career? Right now, um, as I say, I'm doing research at the Brookdale Institute and I also would like to teach. I don't know where, and I just started, uh, I just finished my PhD like two weeks ago. So Congratulations. Uh, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm very happy about it, and I will see. Okay, sounds good. I want to go a little bit back again and ask you about the publications of the PhD, because my PhD is focusing on the writing of a dissertation. Can you tell me a little bit more about what some of the most important requirements were for the article PhD and something about publishing? Do you have any tips for others who would like to try this kind of PhD? Yeah, so for me, publishing it was a long process. I think that actually the PhD is a special journey. And um, my first publication uh, was a systematic review that I did it, I think, in the second year of my PhD. It took me about a year to do that research. And I started doing it, and then I published. Actually, the first one was very easy to publish. Maybe it was important methodology and uh, topic. And uh, I published it in the first uh, journal that I applied. So, and there were hardly some minor um, comments. So it went really fast, the publication, but the process was very long. And I think it's very important to do at least once a systematic review because then you, you can have the, the whole panoramic uh, knowledge of what is about a specific uh, field. So that was a big um, 
work for me and a big research. And then I start doing the research. I start doing first a, a qualitative research. That was what the, the first uh, step of the research after the uh, systematic review. And then I construct, I built the questionnaire for the third uh, part of the research that that was the quantitative uh, research uh, that that included the 195 uh, face-to-face interviews with family caregivers of people with dementia about undertaking uh, advanced care planning for themselves. And the second publication was about the qualitative research and the third publication was about uh, the quantitative research. So actually it showed that that was a process from a systematic review, a qualitative research and a quantitative research. And that was actually my three publications for um, my thesis. And then I had to write um, an introduction and a discussion of uh, the three papers and put it all together and all the three papers with the introduction and the discussion uh, is my uh, PhD dissertation. And actually my, the last, the second and the third article were just uh, accepted for, for publication. Um, one was like a month ago and the second was like a week ago. Um, so I am actually finished with everything but I think that um, if you decide that you are going to do publication, so you need to be focused on that from the beginning. Uh, I think that the most important things are um, to plan what you are going to do and to keep believing that that's what you are going to do. Because there are a lot of obstacles uh, during doing research and during writing and during the whole process. It's so hard. But if you believe that you can do it and you believe in yourself and you also have support from friends, from family, or from important persons, so you can do it. But it's very important to believe that you want to do it and you want to finish it. So when we talk about planning, um, how much time did you initially plan uh, for your PhD and how much time did it eventually take you? You know, my, my fellowship was for three years. Okay. And then I said that I will finish it before my son's bar mitzvah. But I still have like six more months, but I am done. But um, I, 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 I plan to do it in four years, and actually I did it. Congratulations, very good. Thanks, I did it in four years, formally, but it took me a, a year and a few months to do the proposal, so you can add it, and then like a few more months to finish everything. So actually formally was around four years, and informally was around six years at all. And you also spoke about some obstacles. Could you give us some examples? Wow. <laughs> I can give you a few. You don't have to spill everything. 
<laughs> then we can stay here un- until the night. <laughs> I think um, one, of, one of them is about the time. Time to do the research, time um, to write, time to think. You need to be really, again, planned. You need to plan your time and you need to know when you are going to write, uh, how much time you want to uh, devote to each of the, of the stage, of the steps of the research, more, more or less, you know. You can always, you always have things that happen in, in life in personal life, in the professional life. Another one is that I was researchers, um, a field that it was hard because going to ask people about what you think about planning your end of life, it was, an em- it was hard emotionally for people. So it was sometimes hard for me too to speak about it and go to family caregivers of people with dementia that they are already experiencing hard time in their life and ask them about what they think about planning their own uh, end-of-life care, it was uh, very hard. Uh, so emotionally, it was hard too. It, was, um, it wasn't uh, easy at all also to write everything in English and to do the editing and to prepare everything. It, it was challenging. And how did you overcome these obstacles? How did you deal with maybe the psychological stress of the particular topic that you were working on? And, you know, I had um, a lot of support from uh, my husband and from uh, some of my friends. And I came and, and talked about the hard time. And I also have some colleagues that I talked to them about the hard Uh, you know, the hard times or the hard feelings about researching a a special field. And I think that 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 would help me on the the emotional uh, stuff, uh, on the emotional part. And on the other part, as I told you, I like to plan. So I kind of had everything planned and I say from now to I had months that I, I decided these are the months that I am going to do the interviews and uh, I did all, all the interviews in 13 months. So I plan how I'm going to do 195 interviews in 13 months. So I had to do around five a week. So I tried to keep that and if I couldn't the next week or the, the next coming uh, weeks, I, I, I did more. To wrap up, I'd like to ask you another set of short questions. Uh, firstly, what was the most important conference that you've been to? Mm, okay. I think that I was um, in a conference uh, of the Alzheimer uh, Association in Chicago. Uh, that was a great experience for me to be in a conference abroad and with people from all around the world that I also um, did a lecture there about my second uh, paper and it was it was a great experience to meet colleagues from all around the world taking care of people with dementia and doing research about dementia 
it was very interesting. But um, I, the most um, important one, I think, it was the last one. It was two months ago. That actually it looked like two years ago, but it all it oh it was exactly today, two months ago. Really? Yeah, I present my um, my thesis, my uh, PhD study at gerontological uh, conference in Tel Aviv, and I I think that for me was the very, the most important moment of my career until now, because I knew a lot of people that. Uh, were in the audience and come to hear my uh, lecture and it was the presentation of my PhD so for me it was it was a very uh, special and important moment and did it go well it was excellent yeah great <laughs> good to hear all right um, did you apply for multiple scholarships and which one was hardest to get so actually I got the fellowship from the University of Haifa and I was also working uh, part-time uh, being a research assistant. So I didn't apply for another fellowships uh, during my PhD. Okay. What do you consider to be your best contribution to your field? I think that the contribution of my contribution is to raise the awareness and the knowledge about the existing of advanced car planning in Israel. I see it as my mission to tell people that there is something that is called advanced car planning and to tell them about the options and to explain them how to do that. Uh, people know that this is my field and people that I just know called me and asked me how I can do it, how I can uh, write advanced directive or how we do it and actually it's very important to say it here that it's free it doesn't cost money to do advanced car planning in, in Israel you can do the advanced directives or appointed durable power of attorney and everything is online and is free from the Ministry of Health um, you just write it on Google and you get the forms and then you need to sign them and send them to the Ministry of Health and that's it but uh, too bad that people don't know about it. All right, so you're doing some very important work, bridging not only the research, but also the field in practice. Yeah, I did a research, but for me it's also very important to um, let the people, uh, the public, family caregivers, and even professionals to learn more about advanced car planning in Israel. Cool. Who has impressed you the most with what they have accomplished? Do you have an idol from the field, more academic-wise? Mm, no, there are some uh, researchers that I follow them and I see what they do in the field of advanced car planning, especially and in aging too. But I can't say that I have one person that I really admire. I don't think that I am that kind of person that I admire somebody. Um, That's all right. <laughs> but I, I read some uh, um, publications and research about people that they follow from advanced car planning. Okay. And then the very last question of today is, how do you relax after a hard day of work? <laughs> I, prefer, I prefer to, re to relax when I go or I used to go to the gym. 
that's a very important time for me, even if it's not at the end of the day, it can be in the afternoon or in the evening, but that was my relaxing time. And now I try, I start doing yoga by myself, that it's kind of funny. It's the first time I do it by myself at home, but that's what I can do these days. In the living room in front of the TV? Um, no, with my phone, sometimes in my room. Oh, okay. Well, we do what we can in this situation, right? Right. Wonderful. We try to relax in these crazy days. Wonderful. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you. And also a thanks to our listeners. We'll be back with a new episode soon, so keep coming back to the link where you found this one. All right. So, yoga. When did you start doing that? I have a book. You won't believe it. I bought it um, in, when we lived in Boulder, Colorado, uh, with, when my husband finished his PhD. And I bought that, that book. It was, I don't know, 17 years ago. I never used it. I had it here. All the time? Here, on the back. And then, in the corona days, I went to look for something, and I found the yoga book from Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I took it out and I started doing yoga by myself. It was meant to be. Yeah, one day after 16 years. <laughs>